It's one thing reading actual accounts of atrocities and watching fictional portrayals of said atrocities. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Like Huey Lewis in the news. A date which will live in infamy. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Hi. Um, the Clift Podcast, episode number three. Hold on, let me cancel that shit. Okay, that's canceled. We don't want to watch the Matrix Reloaded caravan of garbage video fuck you shit um we're off to a horrible start how are all of you doing um episode three like i said feels like we should be way farther along in this podcast journey because we've been doing this thing for how long now about a month at least and i've only got three podcasts i gotta i want to get the ball rolling on this so uh hopefully after after um this episode we'll we'll get the ball rolling a little bit faster we'll see um yeah, I'm feeling feisty today. Feeling feisty. I feel like I could run a marathon with my nipples out and feel totally fine with it. Um, I don't know. Um, something in the air. I'm. I'm really. I'm sleep deprived, but I'm catching up. I'm catching up on my on my sleep, but I'm still a little zombified currently. Um, still drinking coffee at uh, six in the six in the evening. So that that should tell you something. And if you're watching this, um, man, the cameras do not do the um, the chaos in this room any justice because it is just chaos in here. I've been um, I've been working like crazy on my new short film um, that's coming out soon. I don't know when this is going to be released. I'm assuming um, after the weekend, and then the my short film should be released on um. Oh, it's only Monday. Is it Monday? What is today? It's Thursday. Oh, I'm looking at an August calendar. Okay, tomorrow's tomorrow's Friday. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, hopefully after the weekend. And then I'm releasing my short on the 7th um, of um, September, which is a Tuesday. Um, and I'm hoping this will be out first. Anyway, I've been um, working like crazy on my short film, um, Driftwood or the Seashell. And, um, man, yeah, I've just, uh, haven't been sleeping at all, and I've been putting all my energy into that. I had to postpone this episode because, um, because I just had to prioritize that. Um, the plan was to work on the podcast and my little short film trailer that I released, um, recently, um, pretty close back-to-back and get those all done by the end of this last weekend, um, and that just didn't work out. I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta postpone this, uh, podcast for a few days because, you know, um, I, I don't know what it is lately. I've just been having like all of these super weird, random technical difficulties with literally everything I, I work on specifically with, um, exporting and uploading. I don't know what it is. I just have really bad luck recently. And I also have this issue with patience. Um, like if something isn't exporting fast enough, I, I fuck around with it and try to mess with it. And I'm like, Oh, something's wrong. And uh, same with uploading as well. But, um, yeah, I've been having a lot of issues with that. I, it's just super frustrating, but everything's fine. Um, so my short film is done, which is exciting. 
I've been working on that for the last month. You probably remember in the last episode I talked about it. I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to be um, filming a, a, a short film on the beach and proposing. Hopefully a tsunami doesn't kill me. Well, I'm here. I'm alive. I got engaged and I made a movie and I'm releasing the movie in a few days. So it's exciting, man. I mean, it all it all went well and um, I uh, life is good. You know, life is good. I, uh, I'm excited to release my short. Um, this one actually has ended up meaning a lot to me, so that's, that's, that's exciting. I, I wasn't sure at first, like, you know, making it was a lot of fun. Stressful, but fun. Um, and, you know, a movie like What It's Good For, my, my last short film, um, that was a, that was a fun experimental type of, um, project, and I, and I didn't want to do that with this one. I didn't want it to be super experimental and, and just like, oh yeah, it was just something we tried, you know. I wanted this one to be something that I really cared about, you know, and um, I think it ended up being something that means a lot to me. So I'm excited to release it and I'm excited to hear what people think. And uh, it is actually out right now. Again, I don't know when this episode is going to be released. It's out on Patreon. So if you if you want to watch it early and you want to support me, check it out on Patreon or it'll be on YouTube for free any second now, any day now. Maybe it's already out. I don't know. We will see. Um, so that's just what I've been working on, just my short film. And, um, yeah, I just very sleep deprived when I'm editing a movie. There's something about editing that's just like, you just don't take care of yourself. It's not like, um, when you're writing or filming a movie, when you're editing a movie, my God, it's no wonder that all those like gamers all smell really bad because it's just like the second you sit in front of a computer, you just don't want to take a shower ever. I don't know what it is. Um, so when I'm editing, my physical and mental health definitely takes a toll, more so than when I'm filming and when I'm um, writing. Um, but I, I also, editing might be my favorite part also. It's, it's, it's tough. It's super tough. It's a bittersweet thing. I'm not really sure. When I'm writing, it's like there's, I like to, I like to be very romantic and, and I like to kind of set the vibe and everything. And I, I feel like I, take care of myself pretty decently when I'm writing, but, um, and when I'm shooting, it's like, I have to be in control of everything, you know, so I'm, I'm freshly showered, I'm freshly, I'm ready to go all the time, because I, I think shooting is my least favorite part of the process, so I want to make sure that I'm, like, as on top of everything as I should be, so it goes as smoothly as I, I'm hoping it's going to be, because, yeah, I'm not, filming a movie is my least favorite part, which sounds funny from an outsider's perspective, isn't, like, that's the whole thing, not really. I mean, writing and editing is just as fucking important. I would say writing and editing. Editing specifically, like, the, the older I get, the more I realize you can... Editing is almost everything. I mean, I, I genuinely believe you can write and shoot an, an absolutely horrendous film and edit something good out of it. Um, but, you know, yeah. Anyway, what was I talking about? My short film? My life? Yeah, this podcast... Um, sorry this is so delayed, um, not gonna lie, I'm re-recording this intro and the outro to this podcast. Remember how I said I want to do them on the same day of the, the at the time of recording the interview? Well, sorry. Um, it just, I don't know, I didn't really like my intro. I, um, I wanted, I've, I've, I've realized lately that I'm, um, I'm a good writer, you know, I'm a better writer than I am a talker, and I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take advantage of my skill here, and I'm gonna write some shit, and I'm gonna read it, and it's gonna be profound and articulated and, and great, because I suck at talking, 
So I did that during the last episode, and um, it sucked because I realized the thing that makes podcasts so wonderful is the on-the-spot thinking and uh, talking. Yeah, and reading off of a piece of paper during a podcast is a little dull. Is a little dull, and I'm and I'm not as good as selling the fact that I'm. Oh yeah, I'm coming up with all of this on the spot. I'm not reading this off of my computer screen, you know. I wasn't as good as I expected to be at that, so I was like, okay, I'm just gonna go back to winging things because I think I've it's been fairly successful recently. I don't feel like I articulate myself as good, but it's more smooth, it's more natural, and um, I don't really think anybody wants to listen to me read off of a piece of paper, especially in the podcast format. Um, so yeah, so for this week, my film recommendation, Driftwood or the Seashell, my own film, as I was talking about, check that out when that's out, um, any day now, like I said, um, look out for it, look out for it, it's only 10 minutes, it's the shortest thing I've ever done, it's very funny, like every movie I've made, every short film I've made so far has gotten shorter and shorter, um, which I find hilarious. Um, Vine Avenue, 44 minutes. Waffles, 24 minutes. What it's good for, 20. And then Driftwood and the Seashell. Driftwood or the Seashell is 10 minutes. So, And then I think I'm probably going to end up making my longest thing. But we'll see what happens. I don't know if I'll make another short. In the meantime, I am working on a feature, um, which will definitely be my longest thing. We'll see what happens in between then. I don't know. I have, I have so many short films lined up. I'm just like ready to go, man. Ready to go on everything. Um, so that's my film recommendation for this week. I'm totally cheating. Um, as usual, check out my Patreon. Um, you don't have to. I gotta. I can't expect people to care about my Patreon. I'm, I'm just starting to. I gotta again. I gotta build my audience. I gotta build my trust in my audience back up. But I have to build my audience back up first and foremost. So we're gonna be doing that slowly but surely. Hopefully, in the next month, we'll get going a little bit more. I have. I have some exciting ideas for this channel, and I'm really trying to take this this um, YouTube thing seriously again. I'm and it feels good to do so. I feel like I'm just drowning in creativity and and I miss that feeling because uh, I need I need to feel that way otherwise I get caught up in the the anxieties and realities of life itself and I don't I don't like that. So, I'm just going to instead drown in creation. Because that, that's preferable. So, okay. Um, as I said, the last episode, or the last um, I the last attempt at this intro was very scripted and and pretty rough. Um, so, oh, I realized I didn't even show the fucking Driftwood of the Seashell thing. I forget that my screen's recording. So here's the Driftwood of the Seashell movie um, right here on Letterboxd. If you watch it, give it a review on Letterboxd. That would mean the world to me. That would really mean the world to me. Um, and check out some of my other work, too, if you feel like it. Okay, moving on. So, um, yeah. If um, So the last the last attempt at the intro sucked raw tits um, because um, I was reading off a script. The reason why I wanted to read off a script is because I'm going to be talking about something really heavy today. I'm going to be talking about a book called The Rape of Nan King. Okay? I know this is... We're, we're just taking a really harsh turn here. I, I understand. Um, I want to re- I want to review more books on here, and I want to talk about more books because I want to read more, and it gives me kind of an excuse and an opportunity to to talk talk about books and read more books and learn and not be an idiot. So, 
um, yeah, I want to talk about The Rape of Nanking. This is a book I recently read um, a couple months ago. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of a difficult book to, um, not the easiest book to start out um, in the book review game. Um, this is pretty heavy. I, I feel like I should should have started out with, like, Diary of a Wimpy Kid or some shit. Um, but, no, we're just going ass first into this, The Rape of Nanking. Um, so, I realize I suck at reviewing books. Um, I realize that when I'm reviewing books, I just talk about what the book is about, and that's not really reviewing a book. Um, but there's also this thing with The Rape of Nanking is, like, it's the subtitle for the book is The Forgotten Holocaust of World War II. So, um, you know, there is this, um, there is this urge to want to educate people on the, on the subject because, you know, one of the ideas in the book is that a lot of people don't know about, um, the atrocities that happened during the rape of Nanking. And, um, so there is this, um, you know, you do feel this sort of responsibility when you read this book to like, okay, this is what, this is what happened. Most people don't know this happened. So you should educate yourself on the topic, you know. So I think that's where that comes from. But I also just think I suck at reviewing books. And instead of actually having things to add to the book and ideas, you know, unique unique things to say, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I found this cool. This was, this was interesting. I liked this. Um, so I suck. But as I grow and as I read more, hopefully I'll get better um, at the book review game. Breathing. So, we're going to be talking about The Rape of Nanking today. Um, if you're not interested, feel free to skip ahead. We're going to be talking to Zach Sagan, again, on the podcast. Um, kind of a spiritual, unofficial sequel to the uh, last episode, episode two, where we talked with Zach about uh, Sallow. Um, today, we're going to be talking more about like historical atrocities and where fact meets fiction and all of these things. And and I think the Rape of Nanking kind of plays into a lot of the things we're going to be talking about. So um, I would say stick around, but if you're more interested in the interview, feel free to skip ahead. All the timestamps are down below. But again, I would encourage you, stick around for the conversation. So, The Rape of Nanking, what is it? Um, 1997 book um, by Iris Chang, Chan, Chang, Chang, Iris Chang, um, about a, um, I said 1997, right? Um because the actual story takes place in 1937. Um, and, and essentially, it's about... Um, it's a true story, nonfiction. It's a historical mapping, so to speak, of, of one of the worst atrocities, in, in, in my opinion, in the, in the history of mankind. I mean, like, I, it's, it's hard to imagine things getting much worse than the things that happened in Nanking. Nanking is a... Um, is the, was the Chinese capital at, at the time of World War II. Um, I believe uh, it's called Nanjing, something something like that in, in, in Chinese or something, um, Nanjing. Um, but Nanking is the, Amer is the English translation? I almost said American translation. This is why I wanted to write it all out. But for the sake of being... I, didn't, I would rather sound stupid than be boring, I guess. So we're going to go the stupid route. So fucking forgive me for this for this episode, but we're going to do it. We're just going to we're going to go in raw. We're raw dog in this conversation. Um so yeah, Nanking is the was the Chinese capital of China in uh, World War II and um the Japanese invaded China and took over Nanking 
for a, um, and there was this um, six-week period of absolute terror, and um, some of the things that the Japanese did to the citizens of Nanking and soldiers that were there is just some of the absolute worst things you'll ever hear. The book is a, um, it's a, like I said, it's a historical mapping. You really get a good idea of everything that happened. It's not, um, it really doesn't sugarcoat anything. It has this very interesting structure too. It can get complicated, but in the end it all comes together where it kind of jumps around in time and, um, it really paints a, a very, a very clear picture of everything that happened. Um, there is a section in the book in the middle that um, focuses on some of the more anecdotal, like, atrocities that happened to some of the citizens and the um, and the soldiers in the town. Um, and this all took place in 1937, like I said. Um, so I so pre pre um, Pearl Harbor, pre um, U.S. involvement in World War II. Um, and uh, the 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 movie Black Sun. Um, I would say more so encapsulates that that chapter of of the anecdotal atrocities. The movie really highlights very specific things that happened and just absolutely some of the more horrifying things in the book. Um, there's a truck outside. Thanks, man, for being a absolute dick. Yeah, make sure to leave it on. There you go. Yeah, leave leave your diesel truck on and then walk into the house. Nobody has any manners. Modern day problems. Anyway, um, so Black Sun encapsulates that middle portion, I would say, about all the atrocities. And then there's, um, and then there's the City of Life and Death, which I would say more encapsulates the, the first portion of the Rape of Nanking and the, in the latter portion of the Rape of Nanking. More so about the, um, how, the, the hows and the whys, and the in Black Sun is more about the what's, I would say. Um, so I think you need to watch both films. They're not the only films about Nanking, but they seem to be the more mainstream ones. There was a couple ones that I added to my watch list that I haven't seen yet. And these also, keep in mind, the ones that were free streaming. Um, so check those out, I would say. They're both on Canopy, which is a really good uh, streaming service where you can... Um, we, you just need to enter your library card if you have a library card, and then and then um you get a you can get a free account anyway. So um yeah, those are the kind of the, how the movies play into the book. The book is widely known as you know the the best book about the event itself. It's the, it was I believe the first the first book written in English about the event. I think that's why it was so it was so um important. It was kind of like the first and and most um important book as far as um exposing this atrocity to the to the western world basically um a lot of people have been in denial of this event a lot of it having to do with politics and the cold war and things that happened post world war 2 with like um relations between countries because keep in mind after world war 2 we became allies with japan so it was like and, and then China was kind of like it, it was. It's very interesting how things flip flop like that, you know. Um, allies become um, foes, and foes become allies. And it, war is so fucking political, and it's sad that people pay the price, and then 
we don't even hear about what happened to them. It, it's very sad. All right, Diesel Man is driving away. So, yeah, um, the book is very important. I'm, I'm trying to paint why the book is so important because it really did expose this atrocity to the Western world. Like I said, Iris Chang, the author, really, she's um, a descendant of some um, Nanking survivors, and she talks about this a lot in the book and how how it was shocking that um, she could never find r much material on on the um, event, and uh, that's why it was so important for her to you know, to, um, kind of take, take on that responsibility, and, um, God, I'm an idiot, I hope I don't sound so stupid here, um, but yeah, and, uh, she actually, sadly, um, ended up killing herself after writing this book, so, the whole story is heavy, man, the whole story is heavy, it's, it's, it's not, you can't really say she killed herself because of the book, but she was a, seemed to have deal with some mental health issues, and in the, in this newer edition of the book, her husband actually does a writes like a, a section at the end, um, talking about some of her issues, her mental health issues, and how she was very paranoid that there were people who were after her, and it's just it's very dark. It's very dark, and obviously in lots of ways. And um, yeah, so um, it's it's not for the faint of heart. Um, I would say definitely educate yourself on the event, but if the book is too much for you, it's understandable. But you should know about it. And um, you should read up on it at least a little bit, as much as you can handle. Um, so yeah, that's kind of just a, a small introduction. The movie, or the book, sorry, um, for the first section, really, um, there's a section where it kind of just lays out all of these um, statistics and all of these facts, and they're all mind-blowing. You know, they're all mind-blowing. Like, um, one that really sticks with me is that um, more people were killed in Nanking in just a six six week period. The 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 horror and the the terror in Nanking lasted for approximately six weeks. More people were killed in that period than in both atomic blasts in Hiroshima and Nagasaki during World War II. That is that just blew my fucking mind. That is insanity. That is absolutely insane. Um so that that's just one statistic that kind of just makes you go, oh shit. There were about a million Chinese citizens and soldiers in the in um, Nanking um, prior to the Japanese arriving. Then by the time they arrived, there were only about six hundred thousand. So almost half the population fleed the 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 capital before the Japanese got there because they were so afraid. Um, and then so there were six hundred thousand left. And then by the time that six week period ended, there were three hundred thousand Chinese people left. So that means half the population was murdered in a six-week period. So it's just mind-blowing. Um, but the um, the thing that I found interesting about this first section is the way Iris Chang makes you rethink that. Um, she kind of plays with that idea of those those statistics that you hear, and she says that is just a statistic. You know, it might blow your mind, but that doesn't even remotely begin to express the horrific actions that occurred in Nanking. You know, you read a statistic and you're like, wow, but there's so much more that happened. And there were horrible, 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 like unimaginable things, appalling things that happened to the citizens and soldiers in Nanking during that period that I'm afraid to even talk about on here. Um, 
This was known as, I mean, it's called the Rape of Nanking. This is known as one of the worst um, mass rapes in the history of the world. Um, 20,000 to 80,000 women, it's estimated, were, were raped. And it's more likely that it's the closer to the latter number. Um, and there were just absolutely just atrocious things that some of the Japanese um, committed uh, against the Chinese um, absolutely horrible things involving babies, involving pregnant women. Everything is upsetting. And if you're like me, like, it'll take you a while to read the book. I'm a slow reader. Um, but, um, I, there was a lot of times I had to just kind of take a break. Um, because it can be a lot, you know, it can be a lot. Reading books like The Rape of Nanking, really, really dark books, can definitely alter the way you look at people, I would say. Um, kind of like Zach and I were talking about last episode about Sallow you know, um, specifically involving some of the way, um, sex acts are portrayed in Sallow. It it makes you look at sex differently. Um, it, um, alters the way you look at it. It's hard to look at it in a positive way. And when you read things about the rape of Nanking, it's hard to look at people the same way, I would say. Um, you read about what people are capable of and, you know, you lose that naivety, but you also, um, gain a, a certain sense of, um, fear for people. And maybe it's over-exaggerated, but it's also necessary, and it's how you kind of balance that. Um, it makes you appreciate life and where you are, but it makes you fear the unknown more, I would say, and, and the um, possibilities of people and life and things that can happen. Um, setting all that aside for a second, um, the other thing I found interesting was the whys. Um, why, why was it that the Japanese soldiers were doing this, you know, um, and, and the more I look into the Japan during World War II, I am pretty fascinated by it, um, they were, um, there was a master race mentality among the Japanese during World War II, which people don't understand, they, they were very much so, they hated Chinese civilization, they hated Chinese people, they hated America, they hated America, like, they hated Americans, they hated anybody that wasn't Japanese, um, that was, that was, it was a master race, and not all of them, but, you know, that's, that's, it was, um, the same, kind of ideology of the Nazis. Um, it was a master race mentality, which I think it swept under the rug a lot. And I think that that's obviously one of the reasons why they were so brutal towards the, the Chinese people, because they hated the Chinese people. Um, but also the way they treated their own soldiers was really poorly, really poor. Um, I was reading about how the, um, in the, uh, military training, they, they treated their, um, their soldiers so horribly, so horribly that when they were, um, when they were released into battle, the only thing that the Japanese soldiers could do was release all of that anger out against their enemy. So that also explains part, part of it, um, why they were so brutal. Um, cause if you, you look into the Japanese soldiers, they were brutal. They were absolutely brutal. Um, and, uh, it was also something to do with the um, the samurai culture that was um, still had a hold on on the Japanese culture at the time during World War II, which I really found interesting um, about you know the the idea of the emperor and how emperor is God and and all of these things. And if the the emperor you know asks you to do something, it's like it's like God asks you to do something. I mean, we see this all the time where people you know kill somebody or 
mass shooters or something. Oh, God told me to do it. You know, it, it's it, that's it's the same idea. It was just a different coat of paint, basically. And the the thing with the samurai um, mentality that also kind of had an effect is the idea of surrender. And um, the Japanese saw surrender as a foolish and and um, cowardly, foolish and cowardly. So um, once the Chinese. Once the Japanese arrived there, the, the Chinese soldiers and citizens all essentially surrendered and barely put up a fight. So I think that the the Japanese saw this as like them essentially forfeiting their right to be human. And it was like raining hell from there. Um, they were treated as animals. If it's, Death was better than surrender in the eyes of the Japanese. So I think that had a huge effect on the way they were treated. Um... Because, I mean, look at some of, like, the kamikaze um, um, planes that were, you know, that flew into, flew into warships during World War II. Death was surely um, um, better than surrender in their eyes. So, I think that had a huge effect. I think that had a huge effect on how the Japanese treated the Chinese, and it's it's extremely sad. Um, so, yeah, those are some of the whys, um, some of the things that stuck with me, the whys and the whats. Um um, the only thing about the movies, I would say, um, Black Sun and The City of Life and Death, I would say, is just that I wish they maybe shined a light a little bit more on some of the real historical people that, that were involved in the, uh, events, like John Rabe, for instance, who was kind of known as the Oscar Schindler of Nanking, and she talks about him a lot in, in this book, um, and what's so fascinating about John Rabe as a, as a person is that he was a Nazi, but he was in Nanking saving Chinese lives, and he saved thousands of Chinese people. Um, and um, he did so by using his swastika because the the Japanese and the and the Germans were essentially allies. So he had some kind of um, authority over the Japanese soldiers, which is fascinating. Which is very fascinating. Um, and that is one idea that I love about this book is is just that history is so not ever cookie cutter or simple. History is extremely complicated, and I think that that's why we don't often hear about a person like John Rabe because he doesn't fit the bill. You know, he's not like this perfect idea of a hero. It's so it's ridiculous to try to like fit history into this perfect narrative and make and ha- it shouldn't make sense. It sh- nothing should make sense. It shouldn't. It should be filled with contradictions and and um, and uh, things like that. And I think that that's a little bit what me and Zach are going to talk about today um, on the podcast. I hope we explore that a little bit more. Um, kind of where you know fact meets fiction and things of that nature. So. Yeah, that's um that's pretty much the rape of Nanking. Like I said, I suck at this. I'm I'm really bad. Um, I had to redo this whole video because the first attempt was so shit, and um, the second attempt is pretty shit as well. But uh, we're just gonna stick with it. We're gonna stick with it. Um, I hope I've maybe compelled some of you to um to check out this this story and educate yourself. Um, I'm happy to have read this, um, although it was extremely dark and unsettling. Um, The Rape of Nanking by Iris Chang. Um, It's a necessary one. It's a brutal one, but it's a necessary one. And um, I'm happy to be 
be learning about these things because I think it is necessary. I think it's very necessary. And uh, yeah, it makes you appreciate things a lot more. And again, like I said, also be a little bit afraid of things. So so yeah, um, that's the Rape of Nanking. I hope you enjoyed this discussion. I hope this wasn't a big turnoff and you're just like, this podcast fucking sucks. It's weird. I don't like it. It's it's a weird, weird podcast. I just like talking about history and, and horrible things that happen in history because I think it, at least in my life, it's taught me a lot about the world and myself, which is weird. Um, I think it's because life is just so confusing and um, we live in such a weird time, you know, and of course you don't really know we're living in a weird time when you're living in it, but you can kind of feel it, you can sense it. Um, And that's how I feel like on a daily basis. So sometimes I feel like educating myself on things like this and things like World War II and things of that time helps me understand things a lot more than just like, you know, the modern shit that's happening right now. And believe me, there's enough of it. Um, so I think that's, that's, that's what I get out of it. I, I think it helps me somewhat see life a little bit more clearly and understand the complications of life and history and all of these things. Maybe just a little bit, just, it, it helps me understand it a little bit more because life is confusing and life is complicated and life is absolutely horrifying. So, yeah. Um, I think me and Zach do cover some of these things in the episode, so I I think I'm seeing some some nice, consistent through lines. Um, um, When you read books like The Rape of Nanking, it makes um, especially fictional stories and art feel less impactful, and I think that's a big topic of today. Um, The films about Nanking were nothing compared to the book, um, like I was saying. So I'd like to explore this idea a little bit. Um, is fact truly stranger than fiction? Um, I don't really know anybody more um, interested in exploring this idea and answering that question than my friend Zach. Um, Zach Sagan, who was on the last episode, like I was saying. Um, check that one out. It's definitely definitely related to this episode, I would say. So it's kind of a two-parter. Um and, um, yeah, so I already introduced Zach the last time, but to those who don't know, Zach is a good friend of mine, a filmmaker, and an actor, a bit of a history nut, and a film nut, like me. Um, I hope you enjoy this one, and, um, yeah, please enjoy, please enjoy. Thank you for listening to me talk about this dark shit. Um, so, before we get serious once again, let's get a little bit goofy with a message from our sponsor. Thank you, guys. Jesus Christ. Oh, Oh my God, Sarah. Is the baby gone? Oh, hi, this is Gage Clift um, from the Clift Podcast. Uh, uh, I'm calling ra- calling random people today to uh, see if they want to endorse the show and get people to subscribe. Who am I speaking with? Oh, <laughs> uh, this is Jesse. Is this not Sarah? Je- Wait, Jesse? Is that you? My one and only patron and very good friend? 
Oh my god, Gage? I... You're in the phone book? What the fuck? Hey man, yeah, you gotta be in the phone book. Oh, what are you doing if you're not in the phone book? What's going on? Uh, it's good. Um, I mean, hey, while I got you on, do you want to, um... Uh, do you, what do you think? Do you want to get people to subscribe and... Uh, sign up for my Patreon to, you know, support the show, support the podcast, support me as a filmmaker, and just all around be a good person. What do you say? Do you want to help people do that? Well, yeah. The Pope literally said you were the greatest man alive. Your podcast oh. gets, like, what, a million listens, listens every day? Listen, all you mofos! You need to worship this man, all right? Subscribe to his podcast, The Clips Podcast, which is amazing. Things get deep on there, all right? His motion pictures have won countless awards. They get 99% on Rotten Tomatoes every time. Didn't you have another kid the other day? Oh my God, this man needs your support, okay? He makes great stuff, even though he has a family right now, and it it's timeless. It will forever be wonderful and succulent. Do it, do it, all right? As a patron, who wouldn't want to be a patron? That's basically being baptized. Help this man out! Okay, Zach. Um, since we've already gone over what your favorite movie is, yeah. Um, my question today, mm -hmm. what have you been watching Ooh, as of late? Are we talking movie-wise or yeah, just in Yeah, or general? whatever. Shows, movies. Um, shows, I, I started a show recently called, um, I think you might actually like it too, called Mayans MC. And I don't know it's, what uh, that is. It's a spinoff of a show called Sons of Anarchy. Oh. Yeah. I did not know that. And um, I've been... Uh, I've been kind of obsessed with that for like the past week, mm -hmm. and um, I'm I just I'm about halfway through the third season right now of Mayans, which is the current season, hmm. and uh, been watching that. And recently, um, what did I recently watch? Movie wise, movie wise, I recently rewatched uh, uh, Doctor Sleep for the first mm -hmm. time in a long time. So okay, still. Still is, love that? Still love that movie okay. to this day. Okay. I'll always love that. Do you like it as much as The Shining? I, I, I'm, this might be a hot take. I actually think I like it more. Wow. Seriously. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There's, there's just something about it. It's, you know, Flanagan kind of, you know, it, he emulates Kubrick, but also does his own thing with it. Like he wasn't afraid to go weird with it when regards to what the shining is and what the shine what people with the shining can do hmm. and i i i personally loved that and i just i loved the fact that he he wasn't scared to just you know do his own thing with dr sleep and you know i, I think anybody you know if you're going in essentially making a sequel to the shining that's already just intimidating as all hell because yeah. you're making a a sequel to a Kubrick film. Gosh, I remember we all watched that together. Or were you there? No, I think no. I think I was still in Arizona. You're still in Arizona, but yeah. I do remember watching that in theater. I think with Caleb and mm. everybody, and um, just couldn't have had more of a um, difference in experience 
Yeah, I remember hearing about that. Yeah, Sid hates that movie. Oh my god, does she hate that movie? Yeah, I I, I personally don't know why, but you know mm-hmm. that's that that it's, is her opinion. So I mean, I definitely understand why she why she hates it because you go in, you know expecting the shining and you get like some vaguely superhero-esque <laughs> i don't know if i would call i don't know if i would call it that but um everybody's got powers and shit it's just it, it just you you can't you, you can't say it's not unique that's for sure it's it's very yeah. strange it's very strange I, I also loved the fact that flanagan i think flanagan knew that you can't really top the shining so he didn't even try He's like, okay, we're just we're just gonna do our own thing with this sequel, and mm-hmm. I feel like that's what a lot of sequels should strive to do. Well, you read the book, right? Yeah. So you kind of already knew what you were going. I into. knew what I was walking into. Yeah, yeah, and I think a lot of people didn't. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I mean, again, it's one of those movies that it's it's everything you could say that you um, dislike about it is probably why people like it, vice versa. You know. Yeah. So that's an interesting one. It is an interesting one. I don't know. I thought it was okay, but I still, it's it's my favorite Mike Flanagan movie. So okay, and so you watched, okay, so you watched uh, Doctor Sleep. Anything else? Um, let me see. What else recently? You watched Suicide Squad. I did. I did. You watch did that. watch Suicide Squad. I did Squad. watch awesome. the Suicide Squad. Um, what did you think? What did I think? Yeah. Um, I'm curious to hear hear what you say before I say anything. Well, remember, like, five seconds ago when I was like, again, it's one of those movies that, like, everything I dislike is why people like it? Yeah. For some reason, I said again, referring to a Suicide Squad discussion that we hadn't even had yet. So, yeah. So, now is where I'll say Suicide Squad. I probably like it for all the same... Or I probably dislike it for all the same reasons people like it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it wasn't really for me. I really wanted to like it. Yeah. Really wanted to. I liked the opening about... 20 minutes or so mm-hmm. what did you think um because everybody's everybody i know except for like a couple people love suicide squad so i liked it i didn't love it mm. i like i'm it. surprised um you know obviously you know there's a, a a very big difference in style with james gunn and david mm-hmm. Ayer. so mm-hmm. um i don't know i i think it's just um how do, I, how do I describe this? Every th- th- there was there wasn't really anything about the movie I hugely disliked. Um, I thought the performances were all pretty good. I thought the effects were pretty good. I thought the way the characters were handled were pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think it's just um, I, I hate using this term, but I can't think of a better term. I just didn't vibe with it. Oh, I would agree. With, I I feel the same way. I felt like it was. I felt disconnected. A, a little bit a on little a bit. with the comedy and with a lot of the choices with the comedy i i i connected with a, a lot i i liked the banter between peacemaker and bloodsport uh, that was probably my favorite part yeah that was one of mine um i will say after that i'm very excited to see the peacemaker uh miniseries mm-hmm. or whatever it is on hbo max mm-hmm. i think that was that, I think that was perfect casting to have John Cena play that character. And I'm curious to see what they're going to do with it. Um, have you read a little bit more uh, about like what that was, a, what 
information's come out about it recently, what mm-hmm. James Gunn had thought about doing. Mm-hmm. So originally, apparently, I read this a couple of days ago, that the original villain that he had an idea for wasn't actually going to be Starro. Mm-hmm. It was going to be Superman. Really? Yeah. Apparently, the Suicide Squad were going to be facing off against Superman, which is... You, you get that little hint of it at the beginning where they're explaining Bloodsport, you know, where he's in prison for putting Superman in the ICU with a kryptonite bullet. And, um... I got him... Ever since I read that, I'm I'm still very curious. Like, I, I want to see how that would have played out. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if, like, you have, like, you know, this crazy evil Superman and they have to go take him down and... Yeah. The, the bloodshed that would probably... Uh, ensue because of that. Was it supposed to be Henry Cavill? Uh, I honestly don't know. I, I don't think mm-hmm. it really... I don't even know if he even wrote like a draft of it. It was kind okay. of an idea. and then, But then he you know, he went with Starro. And this movie knew exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I kind of I lo- lop it in with, with Aquaman in the sense that like right from the get-go, these two movies know exactly what they are. Mm-hmm. And... They're not going to try to be anything different. You kind of once you kind of know what it is, you kind of you're either on board with it or you're not. Like th- the second that occurred, that for me, like I guess the best way to describe it with Aquaman. Aquaman's kind of like a '90s action movie, and th- it it's crazy and it's out there and it knows that it's crazy. It's out there, and the second I realized that, I remember I was sitting and watching it in theaters in Arizona. It was right before Aquaman and Orm face off, and there's an octopus playing drums. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Yeah. All right, I'm on board. With Aquaman, my only thing is that I I also had th- that realization, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, it knows what it is. But just because it knows what it is doesn't change what it is. And I think okay. that's that was kind of... That's yeah. where I was left with Aquaman. Like, okay, well, it knows it's stupid, but it's still stupid. I'm not really into it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I, I can understand that. It, but but for me, it might just be also the time, and it might just be how I view movies like that. I I was personally just, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to have fun with this. Yeah. You know what? Fuck it. I'm just yeah. going to have fun. And the second that happened with me, with Suicide Squad was probably, it was it was late in the game. It, it, okay, so movie. it took you a while. It took me a little bit while for me to kind of, I, I guess, to realize it. It was probably right when the title card of, I, which I, I do like how James Gunn kind of split it up into like there's different like chapters. Mm-hmm. Like it, yeah. th- that almost actually made it feel like a comic book. Yeah, yeah. Also, I think, do we have like card space right there? Right there, it's blinking. Oh, we're good. No, okay. it's it. That's just saying it's recording. So. Oh, okay. Thank you, though. I appreciate your. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I just kind of saw that out, out of my peripheral. No, like, that's what, good. What the hell's yeah. going on there? I I, tr- I feel I feel safe that you're yeah. paying attention. I am paying attention. Because I would have just if it was off, I probably would have went 25 minutes without realizing it. So. Yeah. So well. God bless. <laughs> I'm glad my eyes work. Yes. Um, was probably the, the title card for it's right when Starro breaks out of um I guess I think they call it Yodenheim. And um, you have the title card of, like, Starro versus mm-hmm. the Suicide Squad. That was a cool moment. I liked that, too. That was a cool moment. And that's when I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I know what this is. So, I don't... My my issue with... You know me, which is kind of a weird mm-hmm. contradiction. But I'm a, I'm a person of contradictions. I, yeah. I think that's kind of what my style is a lot of times. But I also don't like it when... I like movies that really... 
I seem to like movies with contrasting vibes. Yeah. And I, and I seem to make art with contra- contrasting vibes. But I, I definitely seem to gravitate more towards movies that stick to one thing. Not necessarily mm-hmm. like stay in your lane or anything, but I like it when a movie commits to its genre, whether that be comedy, drama, mm-hmm. horror, or whatever. And, and I think that that's Suicide Squad. You know, and, and there are definitely exceptions of movies where it's balancing tones and um, going back and forth between genres. But Suicide Squad, every time I'm, I'm on board with the comedy or every time I'm on board with some maybe some of the drama or some of the more like the darker elements or gross out stuff, every time I'm on board with something... I just he just get he just gets me and he just completely changes does like a 180 and now he's a you know he's doing a drama so he hooks me with a joke and then all of a sudden it's a it's a drama now again and and it's like okay well now it's going to be darker now it's going to be more gross out humor mm-hmm. and and that was my issue with suicide squad is for everything that you know um I connected with there was something just right up to bat to just completely disconnect me from the film itself whether that be a joke or anything and and um i also just don't like the way it treats its characters um even like i do appreciate you know there being a suit an actual suicide squad movie where you know people are expendable Mm -hmm. and um and none of them are safe but i also feel like it doesn't it almost wants you to feel for the characters but like the moment towards the end when um, spoilers, spoilers for Suicide Squad. I, th- I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah, when the polka dot guy, okay, he finally that's... gets his moment, and mm-hmm. it's like that's that's kind of neat. And then just kills is d- killed immediately. So you could argue that's why Suicide Squad is a good movie, but that's why I dislike it because mm-hmm. not necessarily because we're unable to connect with people or characters are being killed left and right, but because it asks us to care. Mm-hmm. before it does that i would have preferred a movie where i just didn't everybody's a piece of shit i don't connect with anybody you know i love movies where people are assholes you know i make movies yeah. about people who are pieces of shit you know yeah but i guess i think it's the i think it's the fact that they ask us to care about these people beforehand if he okay. didn't do that i probably would have liked it but you can't you can't ask me to care about all of these horrible people and then kill them in brutal brutal ways for a joke i'm not gonna laugh it's not gonna be funny i'm just gonna kind of it leaves me feeling um it feels a little distasteful honestly like it okay. treats its characters poorly um hmm. here there's my whole thing there's, you there's, could there's do something with that yeah, do something the, the with that there. um i'm going to say i i think i think for the most part i think i actually kind of disagree with you on this one okay that's fine yeah um I, see, it, I can understand the opposing arguments, so yeah. I'm not like I don't die on this hill. It's just mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I I definitely see where you're coming from. I think with me, obviously that moment is, is you know where he says like I'm a superhero. That was in mm-hmm. like one of the trailers, and the second I saw that in trailers, I'm like, that's where he dies. Oh well, that yeah. th- that's where my brain went because and I, I don't know, and I I guess I turned out to be right because mm-hmm. well, shortly after right. that he gets stomped he gets curb stomped by starro <laughs> curb stomped um american history x style i actually recently actually you know what i actually recently watched that damn oh man i love that movie that's the first time i'd watched that since i was 15 but 
Hang on, Beautiful but, movie. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna. Yeah. We're gonna come back to that. New can of worms. <laughs> New can of worms. We'll come back to that. Um. So, um, I I wasn't hugely shocked by that. Um. That 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 really didn't surprise me because th- that's immediately where my brain went with the second I saw that in the trailer. I'm like, and that's where he dies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think mainly because I I I feel like that's James Gunn's humor. He has a very mm-hmm. dark, very very dark sense of humor, and you know obviously from movies like Super and Slither, you know, b- yeah. before Guardians, um, and that's kind of peppered throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And I will say that like we really haven't in in both of those films, we really haven't come across any character that's like completely all across the board irredeemable piece of shit. In Suicide Squad. Yeah. Okay. Um, I could be wrong about that, but at least that's how I view it. Because in the first Suicide Squad, if I remember correctly, they all choose to come back and take down Enchantress, even after, like, Rick Flagg kind of destroys the control module for the the bombs. And, um, like, I always felt in that movie it'd be more funnier because you have Captain Boomerang, he, he grabs the beer and then he leaves. Mm-hmm. Then he comes back. I always feel like it'd be more funnier. It would have been more funnier in that movie, um, if uh, he grabbed the beer and left, and that was the last time we saw him in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And like, like he's not in the final battle. That's it. Yeah, that, that, that would be that's, funny. That's Captain Boomerang's exit in the movie. And well, you know, I hesitate talking about that one just because, well, uh, a lot of talk uh, the the. the Release the air cut movement has kind of been gaining steam on Twitter. I don't know if you've been noticing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And um, I still very much want to see what his, you know, what his version of the movie would have been, especially after that whole message that you know that whole kind of. Uh, oh yeah, I did read that thing mm-hmm. that he re- released on Twitter, where he pretty much um, said, I think, what we all kind of suspected and knew for a few years. Yeah. And um, hopefully, you know. They they do release that. I mean, I think the Snyder Cut did pretty well, so mm-hmm. you know I could see them releasing that, and I really want to see how that turns out. So you don't feel that it's an issue that it asks us to to care, but also like brutally murder the characters immediately after. Well, I mean, I don't know. I I just see that as a I guess it depends. I think it depends on the character, and I think it depends on what's happening in the story at that time. Um, I do feel that you know, um, you know, like I said, with Polka Dot, uh, Polka Dot Man's death, I saw that coming, right? Much, you know, from the trailer. And I would say, like, it's the thing that bothers me most is that it was done for a joke, but mm. at the same time, like, I'm not sure. I'm I'm during, when I'm watching Suicide Squad I'm really not sure what's a joke and what's not like the okay, line, yeah, the, the the blurred line between James Gunn's humor and his like what he wants you to take seriously is just it's so blurred I can't keep up and I don't know it just doesn't work for me in his rated R movies especially mm. his PG-13 like the Guardians movies are some of my favorite movies of all time. Like, I yeah. love them. So maybe I just like James Gunn when he's... When he's PG-13. When he's PG-13. Yeah, I mean, 
I I can see that. Um, I will agree with that. There, there are uh, some moments in his Suicide Squad where I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh at this mm-hmm. or this is supposed to be a serious moment. Yeah. Um, and there are some that, you know, where I just, I couldn't help but laugh at. Mm-hmm. And the one that, that really comes to mind is where um, they're trying to, um, they're going through the whole rebel camp to find flag oh yeah and like they find flag there that was, that was my favorite part and like i <laughs> i couldn't help but just like i bursted out uncontrollably laughing the second this happened where like you know they all with the exception of polka dot man they're all just like yeah we didn't see anybody we, yeah, yeah the, the, we didn't find anybody there wasn't anybody there and he's just like i pictured them as my mother and i killed them yeah that was <laughs> great i love that and too. i i I was kind of stunned at the at the delivery of the line itself, mm. and I I couldn't help but just start laughing. Yeah, that was wonderful. And uh, you know, honestly, you know, like they've they've teased potential spinoffs. I I might be the only one in this camp, but I want a polka dot man prequel. I want to know this man's story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And blood sports, just because. Well, the man shot superman with a kryptonite bullet i mean how can you not want to see that story Mm -hmm. so hey it's better than the first one do we count uh, do we count that one as the first however i would say that the air cut has the possibility of being the best out of the three in my opinion yeah i i think i think that possibility has is definitely high um i don't know if you've seen any of the script pages that are floating around on twitter a little bit i did read a couple of them and i wasn't like overly impressed by what i read however i just think back to that first like comic-con trailer and if that's that's, if that's the air cut then then like yeah we could be in for something truly truly special because i think everybody was first was really blown away by that teaser yeah yeah i mean i still think on it now and i'm just it still kind of sends it sends chills yeah yeah uh, throughout my body kind of like how that the first uh, Josh Trank Fantastic Four teaser does for me. Like, like it mm-hmm. still sends chills throughout my body whenever yeah. I see it. Um, I've read a few of those pages, and I, I will say, like, like there's some where I was like, okay. But there's also others where I'm like, huh. That could be good. Mm-hmm. Depending on how that's done, that, that, that could be good. That could be done really well. And, um... Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see what's going to happen with that. I, I mm-hmm. hope that gets released, especially if you know if they got it, if it if if a full cut of it exists already. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of supply and demand. You know, the people want it. You know, why not? Right. So, I saw old. You did. I you did. did see old. I did see old. You did see old. Mm-hmm. You're still refusing to watch. Not refusing. Um, I I wouldn't say refusing. Okay, it's, it's not refusing. It's more just like I'm I'm not in a rush to see mm-hmm. it. You know, to be honest, there's not a lot of movies out where I'm in a rush to see them. I was in a rush to see The Green Knight because I didn't know how long that was going to be here, mm-hmm. and I'm glad I did. Um, yeah. I'm glad I saw that in theaters. I. That was a really good theater experience. I still, I, I will say, I think I still need to, uh, I need to watch it a second time before mm-hmm. I, I before I kind of fully make my mind up on things. Yeah, luckily when I watch Green Knight, I 
had heard from you a little bit and mm. read some reviews and realized okay it's not it's gonna be it's gonna be an a24 movie it's gonna be slow it's you know it's something similar to like a hereditary or something or a ghost story because he did a ghost story stuff like that so i was mm-hmm. prepared i don't feel like i need to watch it again i feel like i had a good understanding of how i feel you know t- t- i think david described it best it's a david lowry movie yeah it very much exactly. and I, I don't mean that in a bad way but i'm just saying like well we t- we talked we actually saw micah there mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't remember if i told you this or not so i think he might have or something i don't remember but um and he was kind of asking us about the movie and you know basically here, here's what i'll say if you don't like a ghost story mm-hmm. you're probably not gonna like the green knight Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just was putting that out there. If you, if you don't like the, the very kind of taking its time, the slow pace, the you know very much delving into character yeah. and building character, um, then yeah, I'm gonna say uh, unfortunately the, the Green Knight is probably not gonna be for you. I I liked Green Knight. I didn't love it. It's mm-hmm. kind of um, I am getting a little tired of the A24 shtick. It has to be like a, everything has to be a slow burn. It feels like, and it's like all right. Yeah. I mean. I feel like movies can be artistic without being incredibly slow. Yeah. Sometimes we think slow burn equals art or vice versa, and it's like, eh, well. Not necessarily. Yeah, I not mean, necessarily. like, there are some films, I think, that qualify for the slow burn. Like the uh, light, sorry to interrupt you, but like The Lighthouse, for instance. That needs to be a slow burn. But also, yeah. it's it doesn't just perfectly fit into that category. No. There's, like, there's things There's constantly. a lot of things going on in that yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of things going on in The Green Knight, too, but The Green Knight is very much about... Um, I don't know how you say his name, either Gawain or Garwin. I'm just going to say Garwin because I think that's how they say it in mm. the movie. Uh, Garwin's journey to meeting The Green Knight. It is very much about that journey. Mm-hmm. And um, I think Dev Patel did a very good job i've i i've always thought he was a good actor ever since the last airbender um <laughs> i've always thought look i'm not gonna lie look hate on me crucify me if you want i thought he played a good zuko okay i i thought he did a good job in that mm. movie for what it was um and i i really kind of identified with his character i i feel like david and i we uh, you know, we had a very long, like almost like full on like hour and a half in depth conversation about this movie, mm-hmm. and I the way I would best describe Garwin is like he's like a twenty first century person thrown back into that time. You know, I can see that trying to, you know, ad- adhere to these, you know, um, to you know these expectations of morality and honor and. Yeah. Courage, courage, of. and you know, one th- one of my favorite parts of the movie is when he's talking to Joel Edgerton's character, and you know he he asks Joel Edgerton's character asks him, "What do you hope to gain in all this?" And he first and he I think he says, "Honor," but he he says it like it's a question, like honor. Yeah, like like even he's not entirely sure why he's doing it. Oh man, yeah, I I it's it's one of those films where I love what it has to say more than the film itself. It's, yeah. its themes are mm. timeless, and I think the, the the story itself is timeless too, which I think makes it so unique. It feels very much so like something 
like something inspired by like biblical stories or something. Um, and I mean, my favorite part of the movie is when spoilers for the Green Knight when when um he goes to meet the Green Knight and he gets scared before he gets. And, and I like that too. He he stands up and he says, "Is this all there is?" And I love that part. Yeah, like me and David, like like we nerded out about that. Yeah, and I I love that whole thing. And um, I made uh, I spoilers for potentially two movies here. So um, I don't want to delve too much into it because I don't know if you've seen it or not. And mm-hmm. if you haven't, I don't want to um, spoil too much. Okay. That last portion of the movie, Lowry kind of, I think, Last Temptation of Christ it. Mm. And, um, like, I think those those first two parts, you know, where he's kind of scared, you know, where he, where he flinches before, you know, he, mm. he throws the axe, those, I think, happened. And everything beyond that is obviously, you know, like a, you know, it's what's going through Gerwain's okay. mind okay. before you know he commits to that. You know before he takes off the sash and you know, right. throws it to the sides and you know says Man. he's ready. I I love that it's like it's it feels as though it's a critique of mm. the old um, honor mentality. Yeah. While also um, a uh, a movie that supports courage simultaneously. It it's. I, I like when movies are a critique and also like in support of a theme as well. Mm. It's like it's very um it's like productive criticism of, yeah, of the idea. It's not one-sided. I, I like yeah. that. Cuz you there's at first I was I looked at it as though it was a contradiction mm-hmm. and then I I kind of liked that it took a more um um observational stance. Okay. Yeah. Um but I, I also feel like what the movie is also talking about in that way is that courage can take different forms and okay. many, many different okay. forms. Like the oh, act, I like that. I like that. The act of fulfilling the journey in itself is courage because, you know, Garwin is very much of the mindset is like there's a real huge possibility that he's walking toward his death. Yeah. But, you know, he committed to, you know, like, okay, one year hence we're going to do this again. and But you will seek me out. Right, and he still, you know, he still does it. You know, even though there's a lot of people, that, you know, I think that probably wouldn't do that. They'd be like, "Yeah, no, I'm not going." Right, and there's a lot of weird elements like that don't make sense. But I think that's the point. Like, um, yeah. why would anybody agree to to that? What do you get out of that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, you cut my head off, and then I'll cut your head off later. Like, okay, <laughs> great, right. great, and so, I also. And I also like that um, when he goes to see the Green Knight, the Green Knight is even kind of surprised he showed up. And also, it's like you expect you expect like there to be no option once he's there. But the Green Knight is kind of just like oh, like it's up to you. You know like, what I yeah, mean? It's like like it's very much like a like you you want to do this we can do this mm-hmm. but you can leave if you want right I mean, and i i love the fact that like i love this idea like when like he first goes to i guess what's technically the green chapel and like he sits down and like he has to wait like a full day mm-hmm. before he wakes up and then when he wakes up he's like oh 
you actually came. Yeah. And it, and I I love it, it's almost like he like the second he came back there after you know that whole game commenced in what I'm assuming is Camelot. Um like he probably just went to sleep for a full year cuz he asks him the second question I think he asks him is is it Christmas already? Yeah. Which I still am wrestling with the fact like, oh yeah, this is technically a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't care what anybody else says. This is a Christmas movie. I the part where he's um tied up and it mm-hmm. the camera pans and you see yeah, that the, he's the, a skeleton yeah, and then the it pans back. It almost feels like that's a par- like it parallels with the end sequence when like it fast forwards to show what like would have happened had he just had he just a, a, ran. Ran. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or like given up basically. Mm-hmm. Um but I don't know. Again, like it doesn't feel like pro honor or or it, anti honor. It's just mm-hmm. it it feels more like honor can be something that is worthy of striving for. Yeah. But it's something to a certain point. that you have to choose. And either option it, it doesn't it it doesn't muddy the water with either option. I think either option is is definitely a a choice, mm-hmm. but you have to be the one to choose like which one is the better option. It's like on, honor at what cost, but mm-hmm. it's also like when he decides to run from the Green Knight. Yeah, um, sh- and it shows what his life would have been like. He just continues to kind of abandon who he is a little bit. Yeah, more and more over time, yeah. it's just like he just kind of and seek more. Um. Uh, ridiculous ways of um, maintaining your honor, like marrying up or something, like all that weird yeah, stuff, and abandoning um, true like, honor or something. Yeah, like, and uh, abandoning Alicia Vandekar's uh, character. I, I don't remember Alicia Vikander. Alicia Vikander's uh, yeah. character, and you know, taking their baby and you yeah. know, abandoning her. But that was done. As an act of honor, also in a weird way, like and the old-fashioned, uh, uh, yeah, the old idea of honor. Idea yeah. could also be a, a critique of old-fashioned honor in a, in a and a movie that's pro maybe the more modern sense of honor. I don't know. Yeah, I kind of look at it as like okay, a twenty-first century critique of like twelfth, thirteenth century honor. Yeah, you know those kind of mentality, um, those kind of ideas. I do one thing I found really cool um, is um, they showed like the very first way of like how people took pictures. Oh yeah, because that's you know like when that character, when Joel Edgerton's wife, you know, does a portrait of of Garwin. Mm -hmm. That's that's how they used to do pictures before cameras became a thing. Fine. And I, I, I personally loved that. I, I've never seen that done in a movie before, and I just, I had completely had a slight little nerdgasm the second I saw that. That's funny. And, um, but yeah, um, one thing I'm also really curious to see now, um, going forward, is, because uh, the next film I think that he's supposed to do is uh, Peter and Wendy. Which is his Peter Pan film? Oh yeah, for okay. Disney. And I remember reading right. I think when he was doing press for the Green Knight, right when it was about to come out, um, he pitched it. And this is such a weird pitch, but I, I love the idea of it. And I think it's, it's obviously not going to be exactly this. But if it was exactly this, 
mm-hmm. I'd be, I'd be, I, 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 this would be the first time I think I would ever be in first in line on opening day to see a Peter Pan film as like the Revenant, but with flying kids. What the fuck? Yeah, I was just like, all right, I'm there. I'm in. That's a, that's yeah. Give it to me now. <laughs> yeah. I want to see it. Will there be a bear? Will there be a flying bear? That's what I want to know. Bizarre. Jesus, I love that. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Also, also, um, I meant to bring this up with Suicide Squad. This probably, oh yeah. This is probably the last thing I'll I'll, I'll bring up before we start kind of getting into it. Yeah. Um, this might kind of scratch that itch of like irredeemable characters having to do something good. So there's. There's a Nick Cage movie coming mm-hmm. out soon, um, which I think recently had. Uh, I think it's starting to do like the festival circuit run. Called Prisoners of the Ghost Land. I don't know if you've heard of this. Wasn't there a trailer? I didn't, yeah, I, I didn't I, watch I, it. A trailer recently recently came out. Okay. And uh, the concept is, you have Nick Cage, who's kind of like this like antihero criminal type deal, like like it. It would be like his equivalent of playing Snake Bliskin from, like, Escape from New York. Okay. And he has to go rescue this governor's daughter from what is essentially, like, this cursed um, part of the land. Mm-hmm. And he's in a leather suit with bombs ast- strapped to his, his neck, his, his elbows, and his nuts. And his nuts. It is like I. There's a literal shot where, where they go to show that. Wow. And he has like I think like five days or something to go get her, and if he doesn't, the whole thing's gonna self destruct. And if he Jesus. does something wrong, um, a part of the suit will blow up. Mm. And I'm just like, you know what? I I don't know if this movie's gonna be any good or not, but I'm just off the premise alone. I. There's no way I can't see this. Like I, I have to see this just to see what this movie is going to be. Now I just want to watch the trailer. Dang! Like it's just, it has one of I think Nick Cage's best lines I've ever heard in a trailer. What is it? It's I am radioactive. What the fuck? And I just I I love it. Wow. I love the fact that like this movie is gonna be batshit crazy, and they're they're just going all in on it. I Dang. love that. Hmm. I can't wait. Nick Cage, Nick the Cage. man, the myth, the legend. So yes. in the last in the last episode, um, we talked a lot about evil, mm-hmm. as you remember, for those remember. of you who who watched the episode, uh, and how it can be explored in storytelling. So I guess we can kind of think of this episode as like an unofficial sequel okay. to the to the last one. Um, I just it's kind of like the the dumping ground for the questions I had left from the last episode that's kind of like inspired by Sallow and everything we were talking about. Okay. Um but today I wanted to more lean into the historical aspects of things and maybe we can pretend like the green knight and the historical elements was a segue to this. Just, just pretend just okay. so everything yeah. feels nice and smooth. Sure. Um I've I've been thinking a lot lately about historical atrocities and how that can overlap with art. Mm-hmm. Um, watching Sallow and uh, recently reading The Rape of Nanking and co- watching Come and See. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about it, about how they overlap, and it's just been interesting. Um, reading The Rape of Nanking especially mm-hmm. feels like it numbed me quite a lot. Okay. Um, and 
I think by the time I had watched Sallow, for instance, I wasn't quite as appalled as I would have been otherwise. Um, so, um, my very open-ended question here okay. for you, random as hell, mm-hmm. but uh, do you think fact is stranger than fiction? That is a very open-ended yeah. question. Now that you say that, and um, we'll, we'll, we'll don't we won't treat it as a yes or no answer. We'll just kind of go go crazy with it. I think it depends on what it is the story is talking about. I think you know, obviously, like you know, if you're doing a film like Sallow, or if you're doing a film like like how you brought up like like the Rape of Nanking, or you know, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to do this, but like if if they were. Um, to adapt uh, Night by Ellie Vessel. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Then I, I don't think you really need to embellish a lot because the situation itself is just so extreme in what is happening that you can pretty much do a play-by-play of the events. Mm-hmm. And I think you would still get the effect of that if this was a story that you had just created yourself. Mm-hmm. I think I think you would still get that effect, if not that even more so, because of the the atrocities that are committed and, and the level of um, depravity and um, evil that, that is committed in those situations. That I, I think that that in itself might be enough. Um, obviously, and it, again, also depending on the situation, depending on what story you're telling, um, like with like with anything, even with you know based on true story films, things are going to be embellished a little bit more, just for the sake of narrative, for the sake of drama. But with certain things, like how I said, the rape of Nanking or um, Night, you don't really that's not really needed. So there's usually like a filter, whether that's some like a filter that it maybe can exaggerate or completely dial back. Yeah. And okay. and there's sometimes where you can't afford to dial back. You know what? I think this is actually a good segue. Um we brought up American History X. Oh yeah. Um I don't pretty sure that's not a true story. Um but that movie doesn't work if you dial it back. Yeah. It, it it has to be it has to go to the level that it goes to to really get up the point of, and, and story across that it's trying to tell and you know much like Sallow and much like you know if they if there are I'm sure there are films at this point of the rape of Nanking you um, they're not um, they're not easy watches they're not you know they're not films that and stories that you can't really shy away from because for one it's kind of a disservice to shy away from it um especially if it is a true story because you're not it if it is a true story and you are adapting a true story then you're i think that's a disservice to the actual people Hmm. that went through that experience and that lived through that or didn't live through that but also at the same time, it's a disservice to the themes, and it's a disservice to the message of the story to dial it back, really. Right. So it's a balance because it's mm-hmm. it's tough. You might uh, 
might upset people by are you gonna leaving things people? out or adding things so gosh, yeah well, well and i think one thing that has to be embraced with those kind of stories and i think this has to be embraced right out the gate before you even start doing it you're gonna upset people mm-hmm. you're gonna offend people just given to what the story is about and to the story you're telling it's not something that's like you know gonna be a fun watch and it's gonna be very upsetting and it's gonna be very disturbing material and some stuff that you know not a lot of people can really handle and not a lot of people really want to see but you know maybe is necessary to put out there because you know these stories need to be told they they need to exist because if they don't you know we're at risk of repeating history yeah do you find that fiction becomes less compelling once you look farther into history or do you think um the more you learn about the past, the deeper into fiction you're able to to read. I think I think it can be both. Really, mm-hmm. uh, um, again, going back, I think it really just depends on the story um, and what is kept in and what's left out. Yeah, um, that can change your whole you know view of characters, and that can change your whole view of the story if like there's like this major part of the piece of the puzzle that's left out you know for the sake of time you know that builds a character or explains something else and that can change everything really um but also in in researching it it can also heighten your appreciation i think for the film like um it can kind of explain certain things like if there's certain things that people are doing um, that don't really make sense. But if you look into it more and you find out what that is, you can be, oh, okay, oh, okay. that's what that is. Like, yeah. um, in, um, you know, let's say something like Schindler's List mm-hmm. or something. Um, looking into who Oscar Schindler was as a person, like the actual man himself, Oscar Schindler. Um, he was a very compl- complex man. <laughs> yeah. Um, who did some some shady stuff. But he also saved the lives of, I think, close to over a thousand Jews. Yeah, I want to say twelve hundred, twelve hundred, maybe twelve hundred Jews from the Holocaust. You know, there are people to this day that are alive, and you know, generations that exist because of what he did that saved the lives of those people. Twelve hundred. Yeah. Okay. Twelve hundred. Yeah. You know. So it that looking into you know stuff like that can heighten your experience of characters and heighten your experience of the film, but it can also take away because if they left like a major thing out, like oh that sucks, why didn't they put that in there? Yeah, I just struggle, especially with my viewing of Come and See, and which is known as like one of the more disturbing movies and mm-hmm. out there, and I don't know. I guess I think it was. It's just so strange because I was really looking into um, history and I know a lot about like Nazi Germany and stuff and reading the Rape of Nanking and and reading the Gulag Archipelago, for mm-hmm. instance. Um, when I got to come and see, you know, knowing all of that I do about the Nazis and things that were committed, um, I don't know, I just was amazed at how undisturbed I felt watching that movie. Like I was just like, yeah. You'd become desensitized. It It's like history has desensitized me to art, which is... Mm-hmm. I almost feel like 
people are always talking about how, you know, movies and video games are going to desensitize, but it's like, man, I, I feel like history is what desensitizes you a little bit. Like, I don't know. It, it was just such a weird thing. It was such a weird thing to, um, to just to have that thought, you know, to mm. watch a movie like Come and See and kind of feel like it was sugarcoating a lot of the things that I've read about. Um. I can't speak for Come and See because obviously I have not, Dang, I I have you, not seen it I yet. You'd seen it. I hadn't seen it. No, um, it's uh, it's definitely on the list. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. But you know, I can definitely see how that can happen. Where you know, yeah. you know, learn looking into those things, into those atrocities. You know, by the time like you actually get to a movie that tackles the you know those things. It, it doesn't really affect you that much, especially yeah. if it's something that you look into a lot, and if it's something yeah. that you've heavily dived into, it's just you know. It's one thing reading actual accounts of atrocities and watching fictional portrayals of said atrocities. There is that filter, like you were kind of mm-hmm. saying earlier. You know, with Salem, you mean? Yeah. Well, you said there's like a a filter. Well, we kind of talked about how there was like a filter of either like it, it might exaggerate or it might dial oh, back okay and yeah. i think that regardless when you're portraying portraying history and film mm-hmm. there's always some kind of a filter yeah um, and it's it's very wide ranging the filter but there's always one there so mm-hmm. so i don't know well i think you know and there are certain films i feel that surpassed the filter mm-hmm. oh yeah they're um, out there they're out there uh, I there's not a lot of them I think though um, the films uh, I would say and maybe you'll agree with this maybe you won't I'm not sure that do would probably be like the films of like Rob Eggers but that's just because his his complete and utter commitment to attention to detail okay of the time you know yeah the, of the time the periods period. the period and, yeah you know the dialect and the way that people talk, the word, I agree with that. The word yeah. exchange, and you know that can really kind of immerse you into the world. Like, okay, this is the time period that you know mm-hmm. that it is set in. You know, you really feel like you know um, when you're watching The Lighthouse, for example, this from you know the way that Rob Pattinson, Willem Dafoe, the way their characters dress, the way they act, and the way that they communicate with each other, the word usage that they use. Um. Like, you're on the cusp of the 19th century. Yeah. And, you know, versus... There's some movies that don't do that a bunch. And that don't really commit to that level. And, you know, I think maybe something like that combined with a story like Come and See could potentially make it that much more effective and that much more... I don't want to say disturbing, but I guess disturbing... You know, now that we're on this, like, historical filter conversation, mm-hmm. the movie that comes to mind the most for me is Apocalypse... Not Apocalypse Now, sorry. Uh, Apocalypto. Mm. Have you seen that? Yeah, but it's, it's been a long time. Man, that was like... A, I felt like I was time-traveling yeah. watching that movie. Gibson did a really good job of that movie. And it is just so... It's... I've never seen a movie that feels so... Um, so old like it, it feels so old but also so timeless and relevant simultaneously not relevant that's kind of an overused word but you could 
it still feels human, yet it's such an old story. Story, And I thought that was fascinating. That was like the first movie that came to mind when we were talking about filters and... Mm. Man, yeah, that's a good movie. I need, I need to rewatch Apocalypse. It's been a yeah, that time. feels like... Talk about... Oh, man, just walking to your death. That movie has like a terrifying first half. Yeah, um, that... I gotta admit, the first time I watched that movie, it was... Um, I didn't expect it to kind of scare the hell out of me, but but it it yeah. it, it does. Man. And um, another film that I, I would say that that kind of comes into that category that I feel like really kind of throws you into the the time period. And I, I don't think you've seen this one yet. Um, it's on Criterion. It's called The Naked Prey. Mm-mm, not yet. I haven't seen it. So basically, do you know what that's about? Mm-mm. Okay, so basically, it's like early nineteenth century. It's in Africa. And you have this guy who's a essentially like an ivory hunter. Mm-hmm. So it, he's a part of this band of ivory hunters. And um they um they've gotten like this this big batch of do you know uh, this big batch of ivory from elephants and you know, oh, yeah. they're trying to make their way back and they end up offending this uh this tribe of people there. And they end up getting hunted down and captured, and uh, our main character—I don't remember his name—but um, he ends up being um, um, ends up playing this cat and mouse game with these people that are coming after him. And it's essentially like a, a man on the run type movie throughout, you know, the safari desert. Mm-hmm. Cool. And um, it's. Uh, it's a very it's a very intense movie, and it it does not let up at all. Yeah, and uh, I I would say if if you're comparing it to Apocalypse, I think the first half of Apocalypse kind of takes the cake a little bit mm, more. Yeah. But it's definitely up there. Where um, um, it's I think one of the oldest. Uh, Gaspar No described it as like the first cannibal movie he ever saw. Okay. So, um, wonderful. It's a good movie, though. Yeah, I'd recommend watching it. Um, I need to get that on Criterion just because I I enjoyed that so much. What are some other like disturbing um, historical movies? Disturbing historical movies. While Um, we're on the topic, I'm trying to. Well, I I don't know. Would you lump Schindler's List? In that category? Yeah, I okay. would. I think Schindler's List is more into that mainstream category. Like, it's very popular, and mm-hmm. but rightfully so. Like, that's not a bad thing, you know? Yeah. But I, I, I definitely think there's an argument to me that Spielberg's best movie. I would agree with that. Um, it's his most mature by a long shot. I think it's also one of his most personal. And actually, another Spielberg movie. Um... I have the title now. Saving Private Ryan? No, uh, well, I guess that could be thrown out there. There's another one he did. Where, um, oh, I know what you're going to talk about. Um, I know what it is. The Christian Bale one. Yeah, it's, it's with Christian Bale as a kid. And he's in... Like, Empires of the Sun. Empire of the Sun, uh, where he's in the American internment camp in, in Japan. Right, yeah. Um, I actually have not seen that one yet. I've heard Letters from Iwo Jima can be potentially that. Mm. I haven't seen Letters of Iwo Jima, so I can't... I can't... Yeah, this this, this whole conversation just is because, you know, I'm really into history and I'm really into movies. So I, mm-hmm. when they 
the conversation when they combine I, I find it very interesting so it yeah. just kind of had me thinking like how they how history and art can coexist and mm-hmm. do they and how do they impact each other positively and negatively because you know mostly I would say positively but recently I've just kind of discovered maybe like I don't know maybe a hazard of looking into history and then coming back to movies like because I do think looking in history really helps watching movies and understanding mm-hmm. evil for instance you know evil characters yeah. really helps understand and obviously historical movies but um i also have come to the realization that history can make art feel a little um less impactful sometimes when there is that filter of um of uh you know what, what were we saying like keeping things out you know kind of taming things down mm-hmm. so it's a little bit more digestible and sometimes the themes will come so are we why do we keep punching the microphones i don't know today? oh it's because they're closer but yeah um so yeah and there are movies like um schindler's list is is a pretty violent movie but it's like not the most violent movie i've ever seen but it's more about like impl- implications and in the themes and you know what's going on like nobody needs to spell it out for you so yeah movies like Schindler's List I think definitely get a pass because it's it's more about what's inferred and things like that than what's necessarily on screen violent wise you know violence wise mm. so um and then movies like Come and See I think are a little bit different um it's a little bit more it, it definitely seeks out to be a little bit more shocking, I would say. So I guess maybe the the more shocking esque movies are are maybe what takes the hit from mm. from that researching historical stuff. Um, like you know, I'm I'm talk I talked about two um, um, movies about the rape of Nanking earlier, just a little bit. Yeah. Um, and you know, reading them right after the rape of Nanking is just like you're like, all right. I mean, you know. It's it's not even remotely as the, the experience compared to reading the book is not even remotely the same. Um, the mm. like the book is just really really difficult to get through, and the movies are there's just an enormous filter in front of the film, you know. Mm. And there are shocking things that happens in Black Sun, for instance, about the rape of Nanking, but it's just not the same. You know what I mean? It's just not the same. Mm. Um, and I think that it's because. A movie like Black Sun, which I don't even know if you know about that movie, but... I've heard of it, but I I don't know much. It relies on the shock factor a little bit more than, say, the other one, the City of Life and Death does. Okay. Um, City of Life and Death is more of, like, kind of like a... about the event, I would say. Mm. Um, Whereas, like, Black Sun is a little bit more on the shock factor side and... And and it's it's good that it's showing some of the things that happened, um, but... I think when you rely on shocking stuff, you know, it's just not the same as reading it, reading actual things that happened. Mm. Um, so that's where I'll leave that because I'm just the more I talk, the more stupid <laughs> I sound. Uh, I don't know if I would say that. I mean, it's just you know, it's interesting. Um, it's an interesting conversation to have because you know. I think it is like how you said it, an interesting uh, place for film and history to co to coexist, um, even on things that aren't as disturbing, but like are kind of important. Um, like one that I would mention would be, um, uh, I think it's called Fat Man and Little Boy, which is um, mm. about the Manhattan Project, about the the making of the first atomic bombs, oh. and um, 
Okay. Everything that went into that. Um, that's a really good film. I, I would recommend that. But yeah, movies like that. Um, I guess another one would be like uh, Apollo Eleven. Would be another one. I, I'm just I'm naming movies in his in history now, hey, so yeah. I, I'm not you know. I've I've kind of gone off the whole like disturbing train. Mm-hmm. I'm just but I'm just giving examples there. Um, and you know eventually you know you will find these movies that you know are kind of disturbing and and are you know kind of shocking and can be hard to deal with. Um, Speaking of which, um, do you, would you lump silence into that category, Scorsese's silence? Into what category? Like disturbing historical films. Mm. Just because, like, at the time, in that time period, Japan had kind of outlawed Christianity and was... Yeah, I guess it is disturbing. I've, I haven't seen that since the theater, actually, so I'm try- okay. I was trying to remember the disturbing moments, but I, I, it is coming back to me a little bit. Yeah, okay. I would say a movie's so long and like somber so it's like you mm. forget about the the bursts of violence in that movie that yeah that, that occurred but yeah i would say so i'd say okay. that's fair all right um, that's a good one yeah that is a good one i need to watch that again so um what um what do you think can be learned um from researching um whether they be historical atrocities or even exposing yourself to fictionalized portrayals of e- por- portraits of evil, excuse me, um, what can we take away from doing so, and where do you think these interests come from? Because it does often feel strange to me when you think about the fact that you're fascinated with these like horrible acts or awful people in history or fiction. It mm-hmm. almost feels distasteful just to like be interested in something like the Holocaust or Sallow. Um, because they're so disturbing and horrendous. Um, but I do wonder if the interest is so prominent because the lessons are so profound. So what do you think? Um, well, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. I, I feel that, you know, film itself is a study of people. It's a study of, it, well, it can be a study of humanity. And, you know, well, well you know, let's take the Holocaust, for example. The thing, you know, at least when it came to me when I first learned about it, was the first question I had is, how do so many people fall in line with that? Yeah, yeah. Sallow, same thing, kind yeah. of thing. And, it's, and you know, it's... I, I think... I don't think it's a bad thing to be interested in in those things because, you know, you're it's a study of people. You're trying to figure out, like, okay what makes these people tick yeah. like what makes them think like okay everything bad that has happened to germany and you know going off of the second world war or not the, not the second the first world war and the problems that up till now are the jews fault and how does one man how did one man get so many uh, so many people in line with that ideology mm-hmm. and you know you when you look at that and you're, and you're faced with the facts of that throughout history, you can't help but not be curious, you know, because cause then at that point, like, how? How did something like that happen? Especially when you live in modern day and you're learning stuff like that for the first time, you know, you can't help but uh, not seek it out because, you know, it, it can be just such a mind-boggling thing and, you know, it's a puzzle that your brain is trying to solve. 
and it also helps you to understand people better i think and it, i think films like that can instill um a better understanding of people and especially the idea that people it's not as a simple black and white of like okay these people are good these people are bad yeah um it can help you get a better nuanced um understanding of how people behave and how people interact with each other and i think it can also you know for the people that had to go through that and and suffered through those things they can instill sympathy and empathy and better instill empathy for people um and understand where they're coming from and maybe not necessarily agree with their viewpoints but can you can definitely get a better grasp of people and how people's brains work when it comes to ideologies and and why they fall in line with these you know what normally would be considered these crazy out there you know ideas that you know don't make any sense whatsoever but in the situation you can see why people would turn to that and would mm-hmm. you know it's adopt like, that mentality there's like two two lessons there um that when you look closely enough are almost the same thing i think mm-hmm. and it's what does it take to commit these things and what does it take to let these things be committed and yeah. i think um when you're uh, observing history they look very much the same mm-hmm. so those are like the two things that i think i i i seek out to to constantly i'm not only learning more about but constantly just reminding myself of What the fuck was Did that? Did you hear that? <laughs> did we just pick up an airplane I sequence? Think, I think we did. What the fuck was that? <laughs> that was horrifying. You think they heard us? <laughs> I have no idea. That was amazing. That was incredible. Wow. Because a, a plane did just pass yeah, over it was, us, right? We heard yeah, it. we heard the plane. And I was going to stop talking, but I just kept going. Yeah, and then we just started hearing chatter. What the fuck? That was phenomenal. That was. I wonder how much of that th- that picked up. What if they were talking because they heard us? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> these guys are talking about the Holocaust or something. Like, what's going on there? Wow. I think wow. I, I heard it, so it had to have picked up. Yeah, I heard it too. Wow. I wonder how much of that showed up in, is going to show up in audio live on the Clipped Podcast. Yeah, that was. Hmm. That was it. If nothing else, that w- that is probably the most interesting part of this podcast. Wow. If nothing else. Jesus That Christ. was insane. Wow. Okay. Well, moving on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I didn't um, even think that, w- that could happen. I don't yeah. I, I'm kind of shocked that that <laughs> happened <laughs> in and of itself. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, to read another quote like I did last week and just, just embrace my my uh, my cheesiness mm-hmm. i'm sure like if sid watched this she'd laugh at me and probably look like a dork reading quotes but i don't care uh, my favorite book of all time is the gulag archipelago mm-hmm. um it, it's definitely up there but uh probably my favorite and that's kind of the book that got me into um researching history and being really interested in all of these like historical events and atrocities and wrongdoings and and this has led you know to um seeing this all explored in um in a uh, films and art more yeah and i think this this line from alexander solzhenitsyn like um 
basically is the one lesson you can learn from looking into history. And that is, the line separating good and evil passes through not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through the uh, heart of every human. And I think that that's like, that is just what you take away when you look through history. It, none of it makes sense. It's not, there isn't a, things are complex. Yes. People are complex. Mm. Good and evil is complex. History is complex. And I think that's what, um, that is the main lesson that I've learned so far from looking yeah. into all of these things and, and really um, surrounding myself with all of these historical atrocities and, and stories and all of these things. So, Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And, you know, the interesting thing also is that, you know, when you when you research those groups, um, nobody ever thinks they're the bad guy. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, history says different. You know, obviously, you know, because they're committing these horrible acts and these horrible atrocities. But at the time, you know, they're fully committed to their cause, and you know, they, you know, a lot of the time, at least in the beginning. A lot of people believe, you know, that what they're doing is absolutely right. And is is the right play, is the right decision to be made. And, you know, history is, you know, the judge the judge of whether that is the case or not. Jesus fucking Christ. I got it. But <laughs> What an episode. <laughs> what an episode. If this yes. doesn't make you wanna subscribe, I don't know what will. Yeah, subscribe to the Cliff Podcast, um, where we talk about atrocities and airplanes and airplane interference. Interference, yes. Yeah. Um, and that in itself is a whole other um, interesting factor there, because you know, you know, these people in that time think that they are the right, the right play, the right decision, and then you know obviously you know you have people who look back on it you know decades down the line and they're just like yeah no we were completely wrong yeah and yeah. you know if if nothing else you you do learn that the complexity of people and it's not like a simple like okay this is right this is wrong mm-hmm. it's sometimes it is that simple sometimes it is that black and white but it is rarely, rarely the case that black and white yeah. it is it is rarely that simple what, uh, the choice yeah i talked about earlier not Sorry to, if I sound redundant here, but mm. there was a, um, during the rape of Nanking, there was a, a man called John Rabe, mm-hmm. which is, uh, he's, um, considered to be the, kind of like the Oscar Schindler of Nanking. Okay. He saved thousands, countless lives, um, by helping them move to the, uh, the, uh, demilitarized zone, like the safety zone. Mm. And he was a Nazi. So history is complicated it's yeah. yeah it is complicated and it's 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 interesting to look into that you know these um these uh contradictions yeah exactly know, that show the the good and bad of people and that's what that's a quick identifier for propaganda when mm-hmm. you watch historical movies and, and even just political movies like if if the movie is telling you it knows the answer and it's portraying things to be simplistic, then you know there's something facetious happening. Like, yeah, a lot of times blame is on multiple sides um, of the aisle. 
mm-hmm. um, when when talking about these things. Like, and again, that that kind of comes back to what I was saying. Like, you know, what does it take to commit these things? What does it take to let these things happen? And it's like, who is the blame? Fifty fifty, because you mm. could argue it is. You know, yeah. The compliant, the complacent. Is that the word? Complacent, like people who the just complacency. Kinda, yeah. yeah, the complacency and the evil simultaneously is what creates these things. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and you know, I think it's good that you don't know because it it's not a simple answer. Yeah. And, and a lot of the time, the answer is probably going to go unknown for a very long time. And so, you know, you're looking back on. Um, in hindsight so yeah and it also depends on the the situation also mm-hmm. makes it complicated one other additional thing that I, that i've noticed from looking into like history and atrocities and stuff um people are a little bit scarier which can be um a little hard to reconcile with once yeah. you realize what people are capable are cap- of capable of it's yeah that's that's something that i could definitely work on um it's it's kind of uh yeah i don't know it's it's this weird thing when you when you're reading about like things like the holocaust or whatever and um you know you realize oh i have it so so good i have it so good but Mm -hmm. then simultaneously there's this thought of like okay this is what people are capable of you know um what is this you know what is this person gonna do to me or something so it's this it's you feel this like level of gratitude and this level of um fear simultaneously yeah i mean you know um it's kind of hard to argue the point there because you know you're sitting there and you know you're learning about these things in history you know like the rape of nanking like um the holocaust and you know stalin's russia yeah all these you know gulags all these different things and you can't help but kind of compare it to your own life and you're just like yeah things could be a a hell of a lot worse exactly exactly like anytime i'm yeah, feeling down. I'm just like, man, I'm a, I'm a moron. You can't for, help but feel that way. First I think world sometimes. problems, man. Yeah. But you know, it's, it does show how far we've come. Now let me see your war face. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. You're going to pull those pistols and whistle Dixie. Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens.